right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. A sure sign that the NBA draft is drawing that much closer. 76ers hosting a six-player prospect workout at their training complex in Camden on Monday. We'll talk with SB Nation College Hoops editor Ricky O'Donnell on this episode of the podcast. We'll talk about the Bridges, Miles and Mikhail, and also some other guys who the 76ers had in the gym for the workout on Monday. Before we get to that chat, a reminder that to subscribe to the broadcast, you can go to a couple of places. We're on iTunes, we're on Google Play and Stitcher. You can type in Sixers Podcast Network. That should take you to our feeds. We're also on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com backslash Sixers. Just like that, it feels like the draft is at our doorstep. Just a month ago, the 76ers were in postseason action. Now, with Brett Brown in control of the basketball operations department for the time being, the Sixers setting their sights forward on the draft. On Monday, the Sixers had a handful of prospects in Camden to work out. Among them, Miles Bridges and Lonnie Walker IV, a pair of projected top 10 picks, depending on which mocks you like. Also, Shake Milton, a guy who's hovering in the second round range. So to talk about that stuff and other subplots related to what will go down on June 21st, we bring on a great friend of our draft coverage at SBN underscore Ricky. It's Ricky O'Donnell. He is the college hoops editor and NBA assignment editor at SB Nation. Ricky, what's going on, man? I'm good, Brian. How are you? Now, I don't want to start the interview off on a relatively testy note, but i got to ask, are you a dissenter by nature? Do you view yourself as a contrarian? I was looking at other mocks as of late, and I think the latest one you put out has Luka Doncic at number one of the Suns. Yeah, I did that a few weeks ago before it sort of uh, has become apparent that it looks like Aiton is going to be the first pick. I guess we'll find out for sure a week from Thursday, but... I guess in general, my overall evaluation of the class, I do think Doncic uh, is the best player. Doncic and Jaron Jackson are my two favorite players in this class. It's crazy. Given the recent buzz, it seems like both those guys might fall out of the top three, top four, maybe even. So, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I wouldn't say that I'm a contrarian by nature, but I think, you know, just sort of evaluating the way the league has gone recently, I think that those are sort of the two players that fit best uh, in the way we play basketball today. 
And that's kind of what I wanted to get to the point of before we dive into some 76ers-related things. Even though Aiton appears on the top of a lot of mocks, there's this, I feel like, general undercurrent of feeling that Doncic very well might be the best all-round player that could be in this year's draft class. Is that kind of what the point of you putting him there was all about? Yeah, I think that to me, Doncic is just going to have the greatest impact on winning. So if you want to talk Doncic versus Aiton, like I think Aiton is a safe bet to put up absolutely huge numbers. He could average, you know, 25 and 13 or something like that. But what's his impact on winning going to be? I feel like his question marks on the defensive end of the floor are really legitimate. He just showed off poor instincts at Arizona. Now, he certainly has the physicality to end up being a good defensive player, a great defensive player, maybe even. He really has that DeAndre Jordan, Dwight Howard type of size, athleticism, strength combination. But he's the first player in that mold who really has touch with the basketball. He's a really good free throw shooter. He's going to be a quality three-point shooter. Soft touch around the rim. He can finish in just a variety of ways. So it's very easy to see the appeal of DeAndre Ayton to me. Uh, but I, I do think there's legitimate questions on his impact on the defensive end of the floor. And we're in an era right now where even good defensive centers like Rudy Gobert and Clint Capella are sort of becoming part-time players in the playoffs. So I think it's fair to question his impact on that end. Uh, and then you can contrast it with Luka. I don't know if Luke is ever going to put up huge per-game numbers, but he's someone to me who just does all the little things you need. He sort of fits perfectly into an era that values ball handling, passing, and shooting. There are questions about his athleticism, to be sure, but you know you can contrast that with a prospect like Andrew Wiggins, who is a great raw athlete and maybe hasn't totally lived up to the hype as a former number one pick uh, because his skill level wasn't as high as some people thought it could be. So. I would go Luka number one. I think Jaron Jackson also has a great, great case to be number one. I, I would put him as the best of the big man group, uh, despite the fact that you know he didn't have the per-game numbers that matched up with Aiton or Marvin Bagley. But it's a loaded draft class. There's no doubt about it. It's interesting that it's all bigs during a time, you know, five of the first seven picks could be big men during a time when, uh, you know, the center position has really evolved. So I think that that's what makes this draft class fun, and it's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out next Thursday. Before we move off of Luca, what if he drops out of the top three or four? What type of domino effect can you see that having on perhaps the teams currently in those slots and then teams that would you expect there to be a possible push for teams to get up towards that range to possibly grab him? Yeah, I mean, you could definitely see a scenario playing out where Aiton goes number one, Bagley goes number two, and then three, it's either Jaron Jackson or Bamba. So potentially he could be there at four. He could even be there at five for Dallas, four for Memphis, five for Dallas. Uh, I do think you could see teams trade up, but, you know, it is so tough to trade up in the NBA draft. It's like it, it, you really just want to get your guy. If you want to compare it to, like, the NFL draft when you always want to trade back and try to accumulate picks. In the NBA, I feel like with only two rounds and only one round of true impact players, I think that you, you just want to get your guy. So, you know, that could potentially be really interesting if someone does want to trade up for Luka. Uh, as someone based in Chicago, I mean, I would love to see my Bulls try to try to move up with 7-22 and 22 and maybe Bobby Portis to move up a few spots to get a chance at Luka. But you wonder how realistic that is in the NBA. I feel like you rarely see big trade-ups. Of course, it happened last year with Donovan Mitchell between the Nuggets and the Jazz for the Jazz to go up and get Mitchell. So, uh, you know, that could be a fascinating subplot as the draft gets closer. I do think that Luka is the type of talent that teams would want to make a move for to get up in the draft to take. It's just a question of is there enough value coming to Memphis or to Dallas for them to pull the trigger on that. 
One of your latest pieces for SB Nation, Wanted Modern NBA Big Men. You referenced Aiton and where he's at, but the other three that you could throw into that class of top-tier big men that are available this year, how would you break those guys down? Yeah, I think they all are really intriguing in their own way. Uh, Mo Bamba, I mean, just so tantalizing. His combination of length, impossible shooting touch. 7'10 wingspan will be the longest in the NBA from the minute he steps on the court. He's someone who really does have the quickness to stay with guards. On the defensive end, you would think that would make him a perfect fit for the current league, but I do think there's some concerns about what he can do on the offensive end. He's someone who I've been watching since he was 16. I saw him at USA Basketball Camp back in 2015 when he was just sort of establishing himself as a top recruit. I haven't seen him got that much better since then. He's still sort of the same guy who's more prospect than player to me. Uh, I just wonder what he can do with the ball in his hands. He can be able to make a move to put the ball on the floor or to beat you with the jump shot. He's always had potential as a jump shooter, but I think that that's a shot NBA teams are going to give him from day one. And then you wonder about his defensive impact. If he's forced to guard more of a perimeter player at the five, someone like, let's just say, Draymond Green, uh, someone who could beat you from the perimeter, is he going to be able to stay locked in? Is he someone who uh, is going to rely a little bit too much on his instincts to defend the paint? So Bomb is certainly intriguing. Some people have him in this class in the top three. I would be a little less optimistic on Bomba, but you know his ceiling is really as high as anyone's. If he hits it, he's going to be a terrific and unique player. Uh, then you could go to Marvin Bagley. Bagley's sort of similar to Aiton in a sense where they both put up massive per-game numbers for big-time schools. Bagley, of course, at Duke. Uh, just a terrific offensive player. I think that he's an automatic finisher inside. He's so athletic. He could jump two or three times before anyone else can jump once. And he has such, such soft touch around the rim. And really, he's more advanced with his footwork than a lot of people give him credit for, too. I think he just finds ways to sort of leverage his athleticism and leverage his strength. To score around the basket, I think defensively there's major questions similar to Aiton because he doesn't really have a true fit. Is he a four? Is he a five? Is he going to be able to defend on the perimeter enough to be a four? That's a question mark. Is he going to be able to block shots enough to be a five? He doesn't really have the length to do it. He put up really bad shot blocking and steals numbers while at Duke. So, uh, you know, Bagley, you could see the talent there. I think if he develops as a shooter and as a ball handler, he could eventually turn into a really unique offensive player. I would probably take a gamble on Bagley, you know, somewhere around, I don't know, four or five. But uh, then you transition to Jaron Jackson. And to me, Jaron Jackson is sort of the most complete big man in this class, he didn't put up big numbers. I think he only averaged about 11 points and six rebounds a game for Michigan State this year. He barely even played in their round of 32 loss to Syracuse. But he's someone who just has the total package of what you're looking for for a modern big man today. He's a 40% three-point shooter, an 80% free-throw shooter. He actually blocked more shots per minute than Mo Bamba, so he's terrific on the defensive end. He also sort of has that agility to switch every position defensively. And I think his ball handling is just sort of scratching the surface, too. There are a couple plays this year where you just don't see guys who are 6'11 with a 7'5 wingspan like Jaron Jackson be able to cross a guy over between his legs and take him off the dribble. Uh, so I like Jackson the best out of the big men class, and uh, you know we'll see if NBA teams agree with that when the draft rolls around on Thursday. Could you see a situation in which Wendell Carter could be on the board at number 10 where the Sixers are currently slotted as we begin to segue our conversation that way? That would be a pretty big fall. I mean, is he going to get past the Bulls at 7, the Cavs at 8, the Knicks at 9? All those teams could potentially take Wendell Carter. Certainly there's a lot to like about his game. I mean, Wendell Carter just does everything so well. He's another player I've been watching since high school doing recruiting coverage. 
for SBNation.com. I could see him turning into the best jump shooter of the Aiton Bagley Bomba group. He just has a really smooth, compact stroke. He didn't take a lot of threes at Duke, but he made over 40% of them when he did. Uh, terrific rebounder, really good inside scorer. In a league that's downsizing, you wonder if someone with Carter's just interior strength and his ability to bully people in the paint could be a good way to zag when everyone else is zigging, in a sense. Uh, I do think there's questions about his lateral quickness. And certainly that's going to be a big issue in today's game when everyone's switching defensively so much. So, uh, you know, you watch the Western Conference Finals and could Wendell Carter survive in a Rockets-Warriors series? To me, he's probably only playing 20 or 25 minutes a game in that scenario. At the same time, he's going to be a really dependable big man. And you look at all the teams that were in, you know, even reached the second round of the playoffs this year, they all had good bigs. So uh, Wendell Carter, to me, could end up being really underrated if people are overanalyzing his lack of quickness. I don't know if he's going to be available for Philadelphia at 10, uh, you know, but if he did, he could be a really good fit in that front court next to Embiid and Simmons. Probably no accident, though, right, that a lot of the mocks out there, including one that you guys did at SB Nation, has A. Bridges, whether it's Miles Bridges or Mikhail Bridges, at number 10 for the Sixers, right? Yeah, I think you just sort of look at what Philadelphia needs. They definitely have a hole on the wing. You saw this year they're playing – Ilyasova and Bellinelli in crunch time minutes, two guys they picked up in the middle of the season. So I think either of the bridges would be a great fit for the 76ers. If you want more of a pure 3 and D guy, I think Mikhail is the pick. Obviously, he's from the area. He played at Villanova, won two national titles there. He's someone who just got better every single season during his four years of college basketball. Uh, he's turned into basically a knockdown shooter. He's one of the best shooters in this class. Defensively, he's able to get after it because of his length. He really competes on that end as well. He is a little skinny, though, so I wonder, you know, if you're drafting a guy who sort of has limited creation ability offensively, like Mikhail does, you sort of want him to be a lockdown defender, the type of guy who could potentially defend James Harden, Kevin Durant, and LeBron James, as well as anyone could defend those guys if it's even possible. But I think he's really going to need to add a lot of strength to do that. He's also one of the older prospects who's going to be taken in the lottery, being in college for four years. So as long as Mikhail Bridges stays in his lane as someone who can get into the passing lanes, disrupt defensively with his length, and hit open threes, he's going to be really good. I do think someone like Miles Bridges might have a little more upside because I think that he's much more athletic and he has uh, some more potential as a creator. He's someone who, at Michigan State, He was always sort of put in a weird position, playing small forward when he's a little bit more of a downhill uh, combo forward, I would think. You'd like to see him use his lead athleticism to get to the rim a little bit more often. I think that that could happen in the NBA with a more spaced floor, uh, with, you know, a more traditional point guard around him who can get him the ball. So, Miles Bridges, he was settling for the jumper a little too often at Michigan State, but, you know, you just watch a series like... Celtics-Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals, or you look at the Western Conference Finals series between the Rockets and the Warriors, to me, Miles Bridges, is he's the type of guy who could be on the floor in that setting. Six foot six, super athlete, can pass a little, can shoot a little, can dribble a little. He's not elite at any of those skills, but I think his baseline competency is high enough for him to be able to do all of them uh, at a reasonably high level. And, you know, his, his athleticism is just so intriguing, too. So as long as you sort of get him going downhill... I would love to see him running in transition with Ben Simmons. I think that would be really fun in Philadelphia. 76ers had Miles Bridges in for a workout on Monday, the same day that Lonnie Walker was a part of that group. What type of momentum has Walker built up for himself? Yeah, Walker was a guy who was a five-star recruit out of high school, McDonald's All-American. He tore his meniscus right 
before Miami season started. He came back relatively quickly from that operation, but it took him some time sort of build up strength in that leg and confidence in his game, making the transition to the ACC. When he's at his best, Lonnie Walker definitely looks like a lottery pick. He's someone who's 6'4", 6'10", wingspan, a uh, really wiry athlete, very strong, good compact shooting stroke. His numbers didn't always back up his talent level, though. I think he only had a 53% true shooting percentage at Miami in his one year. Coincidentally, that's the same number as Jalen Brown. I had questions about Jalen Brown when he was coming out of Cal into the draft. He's proven me wrong. He's been terrific for the Celtics. So you wonder if perhaps Lonnie Walker could be the same thing, where he wasn't in a great situation in college. His talent level sort of supersedes his production. Uh, and, you know, the, the best version of Lonnie Walker, if he does reach, you know, his ceiling, he's just going to be a really valuable player in this league because he's going to be able to defend, he's going to be able to shoot, and he gives you some added creation ability that maybe some of these other guys in that spot don't have. So I like Lonnie Walker a lot. I'd be willing to uh, to roll the dice on him. To me, the question with him is more like, where's his feel for the game at? It was kind of hard to tell that uh, at Miami. I think physically he sort of does have everything you're looking for, but is he going to be able to lock down defensively? Is he going to be able to read the floor, make the right pass, make quick decisions? Those are the question marks with Lonnie Walker heading into this draft. He said in recent weeks that he thinks he might be able to defend one through three. Do you see that? Do you see him more strictly limited to the backcourt? Well, he's got the length to do it, and I think just in this era of the league, everyone switches defensively. So, yeah, Lonnie Walker is the type of guy you're looking for. He makes up for his lack of height with that uh, 6'10 wingspan. So, yeah, theoretically, why, why couldn't Lonnie Walker guard one through three? I think that uh, he's one of the players in this draft who's sort of uniquely suited to do that because, let's be honest, most of this draft is big men. If you're looking for a wing with some athleticism and some shooting potential, he's definitely an intriguing option. You referenced your Bulls a few minutes ago. What about Michael Porter? Um, how has he been handling himself, and, and what's been some of the scuttlebutt on him through the pre-draft period? Um, obviously, everyone knew where he stood in terms of prospect rankings this time. A year ago, the college season didn't go his way, but he seems to have a lot of confidence in himself. Definitely a confident player. He already carries himself like an NBA guy. I saw him play as a high school junior and senior when he was healthy. Thought he was terrific, but in those settings, there was no doubt about his role, and his role was as a go-to scorer. He's been built up his entire life as someone who's going to score 30 points a game in the NBA. The question I have is, even if he ends up being healthy, and the back injury is certainly really scary, I think, but even if he ends up being healthy, how much of an impact is he going to have on winning if he's not a guy who's going to score 30 a game, and is he going to be able to do the little things that contribute to winnings just make plays on the defensive end. He really hasn't shown a propensity to do that. I don't think he uses his scoring very well to set up his teammates. He doesn't read the floor well. He's not an advanced passer or ball handler at this point. So basically the book on Porter is that the raw talent level is obvious for anyone to see. Measured at six foot eleven, hypothetically he's a three level scorer, but we don't have any data on where his three point shot is at. Is he gonna be a thirty five percent shooter? Is he gonna be a forty percent shooter? Is he gonna be a thirty percent shooter from deep? We don't really know yet. His ball handling is Definitely the thing he needs to work on the most. So you can say that about arguably every young wing. Uh, I do think that with the fact that he measured at 6'11", he really gives you some versatility uh, to move him around the chessboard in a sense. Like an NBA center might look more like Michael Porter Jr. than DeAndre Ayton five years from now. Everyone sort of views Porter as a three, but what if he ends up being a five because he's that tall? Uh, That could really give you some flexibility offensively. So. Porter, to me, the biggest boomer bust pick in the draft. I think that he's got a super high ceiling. I also think he's got a low floor. So 
you know, if you're if you're sort of weighing Porter versus someone like Wendell Carter, like Wendell Carter is a safer pick, but he doesn't have the upside that Michael Porter Jr. has. Uh, that's just one of the many interesting decisions they're going to be facing teams uh, in sort of the mid portion of the lottery in this draft. We've been talking for the last 15 minutes or so about some players who might be around the number 10 spot for the 76ers, but they've also got number 26, number 38, number 39, and, oh, by the way, 56 and 60. So that's a tenth of the draft that the 76ers have control of. Who are some of the players that you have been hearing or you feel might be most likely to hover on the back end of the first-round bubble that could possibly be there at 26 but also might filter back into the early 30s yeah i like kevin herter who's a guard from maryland he was really impressive at the combine six foot eight one of the best pure shooters in this draft and was also someone who showed a propensity to make quick decisions with the ball which is a really underrated skill that doesn't show up in the box score just making fast decisions on when to pass when to shoot when to dribble so i think that herter High basketball IQ, great shooter, uh, limited athlete, obviously. He's not someone who's really going to beat you by putting the ball on the floor, but uh, he's intriguing to me. I mean, if he was available for Philadelphia around 26, I think he'd be pretty interesting. If you're looking for another 3 and D type guy, Melvin Frazier from Tulane, physical tools are obvious, uh, 6'6", strong frame, 7-foot wingspan. He's someone who can really shoot the ball and who's developed into uh, an intriguing player during his four years. At Tulane, Anthony Simons is another high upside guy who, if you're willing to develop him for a few years, he could end up being, uh, you know, one of the better guard prospects in this draft. He's a fifth-year high school player out of IMG Academy. He was originally pegged as a potential top-five pick in the 2019 draft. He enters the dra- this draft through the same loophole that Thon Maker once did as a fifth-year high school guy. Uh, his skill set is sort of what Markel... Fultz's skill set was purported to be when he came out of Washington. He's a guard who's really athletic, who can uh, create his own offense and hit pull-up jumpers off the dribble. So those are just a few names that could be available. I do think this is a deep draft. I mean, you could look at everyone from Jalen Brunson, a point guard from Villanova, who everyone listening to this certainly knows. Kyrie Thomas from Creighton, who's a 3 and D guy, really athletic. Maybe even Gary Trent Jr., who is a a freshman at Duke this past season. He's someone who is uh, limited athletically and sort of limited in terms of how he can finish at the rim, but he can really shoot the ball. Those are the type of guys that fit well around Ben Simmons, and I think that that's what Philadelphia has to look at building this roster going forward. Shake Milton was a guy the Sixers had in for a workout on Monday. It seemed like his season was off to a pretty decent start before he broke his right hand. Where is he in terms of where people view him on draft boards? Yeah, I like Shake Milton. I projected him to the Sixers at 26 for a while in my mock drafts. Now it's, it appears that his stock is falling a little bit. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, he could potentially be available for one of Philadelphia's second-round picks as well. I do think he'd still be a good option at 26. He's someone who hit over 40% of his threes uh, each of his three years at SMU. He's someone who at six foot six has the size to defend other positions off the ball. Uh, you know, you just think about what the Sixers need. You need shooting next to Simmons. You want a point guard who doesn't necessarily need to have the ball in his hands to have an impact. And Shake Milton's that type of guy. Shake Milton's not going to break you down off the dribble and burn you to the hole, but he's someone who can space the floor, who has great size to defend. He reminds me a little bit of George Hill, maybe. Uh, you know, George Hill had a great career, especially when he was on the Pacers and the Jazz. So uh, I think he's in a, sort of a similar vein to that, and he he would be a good pick for Philadelphia, in my opinion. Grayson Allen, another name that's come up. He's a guy where, especially even after listening to some of his comments, his availability at the Combine, 
I'll, I'll be honest. I, I find myself you come around a little bit more to Grayson Allen, regardless of what the perception might have been of him prior to that. When you hear him talk, he seems like an energetic, outgoing guy. And then when you see him in person, it's like, wow, that you can see some of the reasons why he really was an effective, impactful player, not just a guy who happened to be surrounded by talent while he was at Duke. But he's got a pretty solid skill set of his own. Yeah, super athletic, obviously. Uh, he's someone who can really get off the floor as a 6'5 off guard. He also has some shooting ability. Shooting is going to be his make-or-break skill in the NBA. Is he going to be sort of a knockdown guy in the vein of a current sixer in J.J. Redick, someone uh, who can beat you from deep and has to be accounted for, who will have a lot of gravity off the ball. Uh, my issue with Allen, I just wonder, like, is he going to be able to beat anyone off the dribble and finish at the hoop in the NBA? Or is he going to be someone who's solely reliant on his jump shot? Also, defensively, you know, he he has the tools to defend, uh, and he did it a little bit at Duke, but Duke had to switch to his own this year because none of their guys were good enough at individual defense. I don't see him being a stopper in the NBA. You wonder, like, can he develop his handle enough passing skills enough to be a point guard or is he a pure gunner if he's a gunner i think he works best as a bench guy which can certainly have a lot of value in the nba uh you know i look at him as just someone who didn't get much better between his sophomore and senior seasons his sophomore year he was terrific he was on that team with brandon ingram uh, and they were really really good i mean he was arguably the best player in the country as a sophomore junior year he got sort of bogged down by the tripping controversies and some of that stuff and as a senior, he just sort of seemed like a forgotten man to me. Bagley and Carter got all the attention. There were games when you forgot Grayson Allen was even on the floor. So I like Grayson. There's definitely the potential for him to just, you know, carve out a 10-year career as an NBA role player. And, you know, if you get a guy like that in the second round, I think that you made a really good pick. Uh, he's definitely one of the most fascinating prospects in this draft to me. And as we begin to wind down the conversation and bring the talk full circle, I guess whether we're talking about someone like a Mikhail Bridges or a Miles Bridges, um, someone like a Kevin Herter, who you mentioned, or a Shake Milton, for the 76ers, do you view this draft more about, or more than it could have been in previous years, fit? Now the Sixers are in a spot where they've established some key guys that they can build around as far as their nucleus is concerned and find some complementary talent that whether immediately or over time they can build and just try and make the piece a little bit more whole? I think absolutely. And what makes the Sixers so intriguing from that perspective when you have those two pillars already in place, they already have young guys who come into their own, like Korkmaz or like TLC. Now you're just looking for guys who can sort of get in that mix, and it's going to be a competitive atmosphere in Philadelphia, I think, which is what's really exciting. That competition is going to breed more success for whoever comes out of it. Uh, to me, you're looking for shooters around Ben Simmons. You're looking for people who can run the floor with him. I think that they probably need to find someone else who would create their own offense off the dribble a little bit. I think that that would sort of alleviate some of the burden on Simmons' shoulders that he showed in the postseason. You know, Ben Simmons is a point guard, but what if you also move Ben Simmons to center during some lineups where he's setting the screens at the top of the key, not uh, always initiating the offense as a ball handler? There's so many different ways to move Simmons around the chessboard, and I think that that's what gives Philadelphia so much flexibility heading into this draft. Obviously, they have a ton of picks. They have having the 10th pick, you know, theoretically, that's going to be another cornerstone player for them alongside Embiid and Simmons and probably Markel Fultz, too. So uh, they just have so many different ways they could go. I think that one of the bridges would be a really good pick. I, I tend to default to Miles in that conversation just because he's more athletic, and I think he has a little more value as an offensive creator. But, you know, they really can't go wrong either way with that 10th pick. There's so many intriguing talents in this draft. 
Philadelphia's in a really good position right now, both at the start of the draft and as it goes into free agency. About Fultz, that makes it sound like you still feel like the Sixers are going to be able to get something out of him. Yeah, I mean, I viewed Markel Fultz as the best player in the draft last year, no doubt. Uh, obviously, what happened with his the, the loss of his shooting touch was really bizarre, but I mean, you got to realize next year, Markel Fultz would only be going into his junior year of college, hypothetically. So he's still so young. He has so much athletic potential, so good at breaking down players off the dribble. We saw him have a triple-double, too, and he was able to get some minutes at the end of the year. So I was always a big believer in Markel Fultz. I still think he should be able to you know, be a very good NBA player. You just hope he's able to find a shooting touch, because if that happens, the sky's the limit. A man who clearly knows his stuff, NCAA, NBA levels, everything else there is to know about it. We didn't even get into the foreign stuff. Uh, before letting you go, Ricky, any storyline or storylines that you think are not being discussed about the draft that need attention and should be brought to light? I guess to me the most interesting thing is what happens to Luca. It seems like there's a lot of franchises at the top of this draft who aren't as sold on him as some uh, you know, independent scouts or evaluators. Him possibly falling off to three, four, five. I think that that's the biggest storyline in the draft. And then just sort of how do all of these big men fit into the modern NBA? It's, they're entering the league at a time when that type of traditional center is being marginalized. So I just think, you know, how they all fit into the league, that's going to ultimately determine how good of a draft class this is because it is so defined by the big men this season. Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation has always been willing to help the Sixers digital draft cause. And for that, we appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. Cool, thanks. Ricky O'Donnell with our latest view on the state, projected, of course, of the 2018 NBA draft. Twitter handle is at SBN underscore Ricky. Follow him. has great information, especially this time of year when things are coming to a head with the draft coming up in a week and a half. Later this week, we will bring you more draft pod coverage, so be sure to check your feeds. Until then, talk to you next time. See you. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.